Have you ever been to hear an orchestra at a concert? At least a school orchestra at a school concert. That's just about the only one I've been to. And there's this confusing thing happens at the beginning. What is it? What's the first thing you hear? And it's confusing and you think, that's a funny piece of music. It's them all tuning their instruments, isn't it? Yes, and some ignorant people start to clap. Uh, But uh, they're just tuning their instruments. Why do they do that? Well, because they get out of tune, don't they? Their instruments, even if they just... You think, why didn't they tune them half an hour ago? Are they just sort of completely disorganised? Well, apparently even that isn't good enough. They get out of tune. Temperature, humidity, getting knocked as they're carried there up onto the stage, puts them out of tune. And they need to be retuned. Now, I reckon that one of the things that church is for is retuning us. Actually, each Sunday, that's one of the things I think to myself. We need retuning. Why do we need retuning? Because we've had a week in the world, haven't we? And society's temperature, and our society has a particular temperature, doesn't it? And its conditions. And the knocks of life put us out of tune with the Bible. And we need to be brought back into tune. Some are more out of tune than others, but we've all got out of tune at least a bit, and we need to be brought back into tune. And one of the ways we need that is daily life over the past week has focused you on here and now, hasn't it? That's unavoidable. It's focused you on the here and now. And it's made that seem like all there is and all that matters. And we need to get back in tune with the Bible, which is eternity focused. Oh yes, the Bible has a lot to say to help us in ordinary daily life. But actually the biggest help in ordinary daily life, or one of the biggest helps, is... This book is eternity-focused, and we need to get back in tune with that. So this evening is all about getting us to think about eternity. Have you given eternity much thought recently? Well, I have a simple aim this evening, which is just to get you to think about eternity. And we'll start in, well actually we'll spend the whole time in, Matthew 25, verse 46. You will, after a few minutes, think that it was a bit of a push that I've said we'll spend the whole time in Matthew 25, 46, because it's very topical this evening. Let's read it. 20, Matthew 25, 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I am taking these words as meaning what they say. I'm taking these words as meaning what many other parts of the Bible say. I'm taking these words as meaning what the vast majority of Christians all down through church history have said. That everyone goes to either eternal punishment or eternal life. Which is another way of saying that everyone goes to punishment that is forever or to life that is forever. You'd have to have very good reason not to take these words that way. And we don't have very good reason, so that's the way we're taking them. Now, I'm not going to preach this parable. I hope you listened as Thomas read us the parable. And there's so much we could learn from that, but that's not the subject this evening. I'm not even preaching this verse. I'm simply this evening doing one thing, trying to fill our minds with thoughts about eternity, to retune us. So let's start with this. Understand the sense of eternity. I want us to understand the sense of eternity. And when I say sense here, I mean this. To many, it just doesn't make sense. Us little people with these physical bodies, the idea of eternity for us just doesn't make sense for many people. And maybe for you, if you give it much thought, it's very hard to make sense of it. 
But I want to say it does make sense. And the way to see it makes sense is to get two things right. Who we are and who God is. So let's have a try. First of all, who we are. Now, there has been belief in life after death down through history in different centuries, in different cultures, on different continents. And that's quite amazing, isn't it? Where did this belief in life after death come from? Why has it been so persistent? And it's still the majority idea and belief today. The grave doesn't encourage you to believe in it, does it? Whoever would dig up a grave and find a skeleton in it and conclude there is life after death? The natural world doesn't encourage you to believe in it. Who would look at animals dying and plants dying and conclude there's life after death? Doesn't seem to make sense. Why is it believed? Why does it persist? Oh, the Bible's answer, in the words of Ecclesiastes, is God has put eternity in our hearts. Because we are not just bodies that rot in the grave. We're not just animals. We're made in the image of God. Now, belief in life after death has persisted, but we have to admit it's diminishing in the West. Not as much as as you might think, but it is diminishing in the West. And that has gone along with a diminishing view of humans. We're just physical, we're just chemicals, we're just animals. And if you believe that, then eternity does make no sense. If we're just physical, we're just chemicals, we're just animals. The idea of eternity is a really senseless idea. But if we're just physical, we're just chemicals, we're just animals, then there is no love, there is no morality, there is no responsibility, there is no meaningful will. So that means there's a package. seems to me there's a package that goes together. Reject eternity, reject belief in eternity, and you end up rejecting belief in humanity. We become not responsible, moral, decision-making, loving beings with souls. We become just physical machines that, of course, will just rot in the grave when we're worn out like a machine wears out. Reject belief in eternity and you reject belief in humanity. Believe in humanity and, well, eternity makes sense. So how much better is is the Bible that says, no, you're not just an animal, you're made in the image of God. And that means death isn't the end for us. And that means we're able to enjoy eternity. You know, can you think of how us little humans with these bodies that get cut and hurt could enjoy eternity? Well, do you believe that God enjoyed eternity past? That's the key to it, really. Do you believe that God enjoyed eternity past? Father, Son and Holy Spirit, forever happy in each other's company. Well, people who are made in the image of God can enjoy eternity ahead. When the image of God is remade in us and we're pulled into that life of the Trinity. Do you remember Jesus, before he went to die, praying to his father, John 17, and praying, may they also be in us as we are one, may they be in us. Pulled into that life of the Trinity. And so we can enjoy unending fellowship with God. You see, it's when you see what we are. Made in God's image, the image of God remade, eternity starts to make sense. 
When you see what we are, made in the image of God, it, it starts to make sense in this way as well. It means we are responsible, we are significant enough to be worth punishing. I remember being stuck in a traffic jam once and looking round at my fellow commuters stuck in a traffic jam. Have you ever done that? And you look there at all these people stuck around you. Know, I remember there was a woman jogging along the pavement. She looked like she was finding it hard going. She didn't look very impressive. And, and looking at all us humans and thinking, we're so insignificant. All of us stuck in this traffic jam, these people walking along the pavement, one woman trying to run a bit poorly. And we're, we're rather pathetic beings, aren't we? Can I really believe in eternal punishment? We're not worth it, are we? We're not worth punishing. You know, if a wasp annoys you, you might squash it, but you don't punish it forever, do you? But the Bible's answer is, we're not just an annoying wasp. We're not just a dangerous dog to be got rid of. We're significant beings. We're the image of God. And when we go wrong, that merits punishment. We're significant enough to be worthy of punishment that isn't merely temporary. So if we're going to make sense of eternity, we need to, first of all, get right who we are. But secondly, get right who God is. Now, the obvious objection to eternity is such punishment is disproportionate. It just doesn't match the crime. Forever, us little people... But that's because we don't get what the crime is. That's because we don't get who we sin against. So, if you swat a fly, you might think that was a bit unnecessary, but I doubt anyone is too bothered about it. If you run over a rabbit in your car, ever done that? I have, it makes quite a crunch. It's not very nice. But it's not that big a deal, is it? If you knock down a mother and children in the car, Well, that's a very different matter, isn't it? In other words, the seriousness of a wrong depends on whom it's done against. And our sin is against God. It's a rejection of the Creator. It's a rebellion against the King. It's a defiance of the Holy One. It's putting our hand in the face of the Infinite One and pushing Him away. And until we see that, of course, eternity won't make sense to us. Now, I've increasingly realised that as well as objections to eternal punishment, there are also objections to eternal life. Like, how could I enjoy heaven for eternity? Have you ever thought about that? Eternity is a jolly long time. How could I enjoy anything for eternity? You know, you thought like this, this new world God will make. Yeah, sure, it will be wonderful, but won't I have run out of things to discover after a thousand years? And won't I have run out of new things to enjoy after 5,000 years? What do I do for the next 5,000 years? It's like the whole thing blows your mind. But such thinking has missed the heart of eternal life. It's all about God. It's not just about how great that new world will be. That's a part of it, but but it's about God. It's about being with him. And he is infinite. And eternity will not exhaust him. I saw a video once. In fact, it was sent to me by some people here. I wonder if they remember this. And it had a person lying in a field. 
And then you zoomed out until you saw the United Kingdom or whatever country they were in. And then you zoomed out until you saw planet Earth. And then you zoomed out until you saw the solar system. And then you zoomed out until you saw our segment of the galaxy. And then you zoomed out until you saw the Milky Way. And then you zoomed out until you saw a whole load of galaxies. And then it reversed and very suddenly you went back in and you were looking at the man in, lying on the field again. And then you went in first and you were looking at the back of his hand. And then you were looking at the structure of the skin. And then you were going down to the cells. And then you were discovering a universe of complexity within one cell. And all of that came from within God. All of that was made by Christ. But he's not only vast and the source of all that variety, he is love. His vast wisdom and knowledge and power and his deepest love, practical love, going to the cross love. And eternal punishment is for treating him as if he's worthless. And eternal life is knowing and enjoying him forever. I hope you're persuaded eternity does make sense when you see who you are and you see a little of who God is. So, that was understanding the sense of eternity. Now, secondly, feeling the size of eternity. That is a ridiculous heading, isn't it? Feeling the size of eternity. Obviously, we can't. But I want to just encourage us to try to think a little more about eternity. First of all, eternal punishment. Matthew 25, verse 46. In that verse, Jesus says there is eternal punishment. And if he meant the sinner just dies and eternally doesn't come back, he's put it very unclearly. Let alone when he said about fire that's not quenched and weeping and gnashing of teeth and the smoke of their torment arises forever. So there's no getting round. I don't like it. I don't suppose you like it. I hope you don't like it. It's very odd if you do. I've tried to get round it many times and I wish I could, but there it is. Jesus taught there is punishment that people experience forever. Now, I'm not going into tonight what that punishment is. The Bible does tell us a bit, and that's not the subject tonight, that it's forever, that it's eternal, is enough to grab us by the heart and shake us. Now, we can't imagine forever, can we? But can you think of something that's dragged on and on and on? Yeah, I expect you can, can't you? I hope it's not my preaching. But I expect you can think of something that's dragged on and on and on. I remember going to a wedding reception, and the only person I knew there was my wife, Louise. But she was a bridesmaid, and she had to, all these responsibilities. It was an unbeliever's wedding, and she was having to sort out all these drunk other bridesmaids, actually, to put it bluntly. And I was left to myself, and I didn't know anyone, and they weren't talking to me. And there was a dance with music so loud you couldn't talk anyway. I cannot stand that sort of thing. I had nothing to do except endure it. And it got to 10 o'clock. I thought, when would it finish? I was actually preaching the next day as well. And it got to 11 o'clock, and it was still going on. And it got to midnight, and there was no sign of it ending. And it got to one o'clock and I was like, what do I do with myself? And it got to 2am and it 
it came to an end. This might seem ridiculous, but it did make me think about eternity. Because it just went on and on. And I just thought, is this thing never going to end? How do we cope with things that drag on? Well, we get dividing markers, don't we? Isn't that this what the long-distance runner does? You, you don't think about the end. You've got dividing markers. You take it a stage at a time. I've got through an hour, maybe three more to go. Got through the next hour, good. And you, you divide it up, don't you? Dividing markers. Or you look forward to the end at that wedding reception. I don't know when this is going to end. It feels like it's never going to end, but I know that actually that is objectively untrue. It must end at some point. Even if it's 6am, there will be an end. Eternal punishment. No dividing markers. No day and night. You can't say, if I get through this year, well, it's going to end eventually. It must come within some point. On and on and on and on and on. It's a horrible subject, isn't it? I hardly ever preach on it. I probably ought to preach on it more. But I just, it's just too horrible. But it's there. And we've got to think about it sometimes. But if you're grumbling about it now, think of this. If you go there, if you go there, It will be despite the arms of Jesus held out to welcome and save you. So don't grumble about it. Instead of grumbling about it, which is a pointless activity, escape it. Run into those welcoming arms. Cry out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever done so? I wouldn't be surprised if some here haven't. Have you ever done so? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? What game are you playing? What risk are you taking? When are you going to leave it to? Or will you escape that hell now? Let's move on to nicer things to think about. Eternal life. When my granny was about 90 and in poor health, she said to me, don't talk to me about eternal life. The idea of life not ending has no attraction at all. I'm just weary. Now that's understandable, isn't it? We're not good at keeping going. That's because of the fall. But even in a fallen world, we get little pointers to give us an appetite for eternity. God has given us so many pleasures and he's made them all short-lived. Isn't that true? Aren't there so many pleasures in life and don't they tend to be short-lived? Physical pleasures. God's given us many physical pleasures, hasn't he? Sex, food, being active, sunny days. They all have pleasure and they all have to come to an end, don't they? Didn't you enjoy the sunny days of last week? Oh, I love it. But I knew it would come to an end. This is Britain. And you have that hanging over, don't you? It's going to rain sometime. It always, every pleasure has to come to an end. And God's giving you a little pointer. He is able to give great pleasure. But here and now, they all come to an end. Relational pleasure, what pleasure there is in love and company and friendship. But at its best, it is what? What are the words in the wedding? You know, don't you? Till death us do part. That's at its best. Spiritual pleasures. 
I hope you know these. I hope you've experienced the pleasure of praising God when he lifts up your heart. I hope you have. I hope you've experienced the pleasure of prayer when it's not just slogging through it, but the Spirit moves you to seek and to find and to know and to plead with God. I hope you know that. I hope you know the pleasure of when preaching isn't just dragging on and on, but you hear the voice of Jesus. I hope you know all those. But they do tend to be short-lived, don't they? If they're not for you, I'm really pleased to hear it. But I think they are for most of us. And when they go, they're very hard to get back, aren't they? They're real pleasures, but they all have this short-lived nature. They all have sin spoiling, insecurity hanging over, the shadow of the fall across them, our weakness affecting them. To give us an appetite for eternal life. When our sin will be gone, the fall will be gone, our weakness will be gone, and that short-lived nature of everything will be gone, and above all, we will be with Christ. Where does the Bible talk about believers going to heaven when, when they die? Simple answer, it doesn't. It doesn't, you know that, it doesn't. What does it talk about? You know, don't you? It's not about going to heaven, going to be with Christ. That's what it talks about, going to be with him. Now, one of the best-selling books ever, I hope you've read it, Pilgrim's Progress. Wonderful book, you ought to read it. It's in the library, get it out. It's in modern English, good version, read it. It's the Christian life pictured as a journey. Now, there's a second volume to it that's less well-known, and to be honest, is less good, but it's still worth reading. And... In it there is a man called Mr. Standfast and he faces death and as he does he says this, I am going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spat upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith but now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. That's eternal life. It's not just this life stretching on. It's that. Now, Pilgrim's Progress is a fiction story, but it's full of Bible. John Bunyan, who, um, who wrote it, they said of him, if you picked him, with a prin, uh, picked him with a pin, Bible would spurt out. It's very true. And what he says there is what Jesus says in John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Now, do you ever wonder how that works practically? Do you? I hope you do, because you probably don't think much about heaven if you never have thought to yourself, how does that work practically? Billions of people, because there's going to be billions of people in, in heaven. Do you know that there's quite a respectable strand of church history that says the majority of the world's population will be in heaven, the majority of humanity? That isn't waffly people who've said that, that's been straight down the line people who've said that. Good case for that, actually. So there'll be lots of people in heaven. How are they all going to be with Jesus? He's a human. He's got a body. How's it all going to work? Well, I don't know. But don't let your your expectations be limited by your experiences. An American general in the um, Vietnam War said one of the problems in the Vietnam War was this. The 
expectations of those who led it were limited to their experiences. They experienced the Second World War and they thought war has to be like what they've experienced. And he said, that was, that was disastrous. Don't let your expectations be limited by your experiences. So I, I, I'm not that embarrassed that I don't know how it will work because I'm limited by my experiences, but our expectations should be much greater. Think of it this way. Imagine trying to explain to an 18th century person how I can see and talk to my sister in Iraq while I'm in Loughborough. Imagine trying to explain to them how that happens. Now, you all know how it happens, don't you, because you know about Skype and things, but you, you could never explain it to them, could you? Imagine trying to explain to a 12th century person living in Spain how the Arctic waste is transformed into a place teeming with life, variety and vitality at spring. They'd never get it, would they? He couldn't take it in. And we can't take in how Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, will transform us and transform this world into a home we can enjoy with him for eternity. Seeing him, hearing him, knowing him forever. No cloud hanging over it. No wondering when the sunshine will come to an end and the rains will dampen it. Enjoying him forever. Well, I couldn't make you feel the size of eternity, could I? But I hope it's made you think more about eternity. So let's end with this now. Live in sight of eternity. I'm going to try to apply it to us now. Live in sight of eternity. How do we do that? First of all, get perspective. Now, if you hold a 2p coin in front of your eye, you can block out the sun. Do you know that? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You hold a 2p coin. A 2p coin can block out the sun. Yes, of course, because it's near and the sun is far. And we so often get taken up with trivial things. They are small, but they are near. And eternity is fast, but it's... Well, we think it's far. We don't know how far it is, do we? But it seems far to us. Don't let the 2p coin block out the sun. Now, what does that mean in practice? Because you've got to live, haven't you? And you've got to do things tomorrow, haven't you? Well, it doesn't mean neglect daily duties... It doesn't mean don't think about ordinary life. It means do them keeping eternity in mind. I was walking along a corridor in Glenfield Hospital, going to see a dying person. I can't remember who it was. It must have been someone connected with Hollywell. I can't remember who. And I thought, as I went to see that dying person, and if I remember rightly, it was someone who maybe had professed faith fairly recently. I can't remember. But I thought, if... He has for years lived for what this world offers and given little thought to heaven. Even if he's saved now, my words trying to comfort him about where he's going could easily seem like empty cliches. Because if he's for years lived for getting this and getting that and giving no thought to where he's going, it's very hard now, in this weakened state as he approaches death, to get his mind fixed on where he's going and it to be a real comfort and not seem an empty cliche. It made me think about preparing well before you get to the verge of Jordan. You can't prepare to die when you face death. I don't mean God can't save you. Yes, he can. But you can't prepare to die well 
when you face death, you prepare by how you live for years and years before. What are you living for now? That's what will prepare you for when you tread the verge of Jordan. So think about heaven now. Don't let the 2p coin block out the sun now. Try to get heaven in you before you get in heaven. And as heaven is being with Jesus, what that means is get to know him now. Listen to him now. Speak to him now. Live inside of eternity, it means get perspective. It means also rejoice with trembling. Now, this is actually what got me preaching on this subject. This might seem a funny reason for why I've preached on eternity this evening. But I was talking to someone recently, nothing to do with Hollywell, never lived in Loughborough. And he was explaining the gospel and I agreed with everything he said and he put it well, but I was troubled. Why? Well, it sounded so detached. It sounded like he'd just got a good argument. In fact, to be honest, it sounded proud. So although I agreed completely with his doctrine, it troubled me. But I thought, well, instead of saying, oh, he's a proud chap, which I don't know, he just sounded proud to me, turn it on myself. So I did turn it on myself. Used it to try to examine myself. And I remembered how I used to think, how amazing. How amazing that God chose me and God loved me and God saved me. And if he hadn't, where would I be for eternity? What would it be like for me forever? And that would give me a tingly sort of thankful but intimidated. That's how I'd describe what it would give me. A tingly sort of thankful but intimidated. And I wondered to myself, have I lost something of that? I can preach things from the Bible, but have I lost something of that amazed, tingly, thankful but intimidated? So that's what's got me preaching this this evening. So you and I, fellow Christian, to use the Bible's words, rejoice with trembling. So you and I have that tingly sort of thankful but intimidated because of what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. Live in sight of eternity. How? Here's the obvious one. Be urgent. That's the obvious one, isn't it? Be urgent. Everyone around us has eternity ahead. Look at the people around you. Each one of us will be in hell or heaven forever. Each one of us. Each person you meet, each feeble-looking person in a care home, is the image of God with eternity ahead. Each degraded drug addict on the, in the gutter, each work colleague this week, each neighbour on your road, each member of your family, is of immense significance with eternity ahead. Parents, when you conceive a child, you do something irreversible. Whether that child dies in the womb or at five or at 50, you have procreated a person who is the image of God and who has eternity ahead. That's irreversible. Everyone will one day go to eternal punishment 
or eternal life. That's what our verse, we haven't been in our verse much, have we, this evening? But that's what our verse says, and there's no getting round it. And where they go all depends on one thing. Do they belong to Jesus Christ? Now, do I need to say any more? Be urgent to bring people to Jesus. Let's pray.